Well, this, uh, our first Advent candle we lit last week was the candle of hope. This second candle we call the candle of preparation. And uh, Stephanie read the passage out of the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40, about uh, the promise that God would send one to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And I want to read to you this morning out of Luke chapter 1. Uh, beginning in verse uh, 13. And Zechariah, the priest, has gone into the temple to offer incense. And while he's in there, an angel appears to him and tells him that his prayer has been heard. He must have wondered, what prayer are you talking about? Because I'm sure Zechariah hadn't prayed for a long, long time for a son because he and his wife had already passed the age of childbearing, and, uh, and yet that's the very prayer that God was answering. Sometimes, you know, we pray prayers, and we don't get an answer, and we figure, well, I guess God's not going to answer that prayer, and maybe 30 years later, he answers it, because uh, time for him is irrelevant. It's a, it's a big deal to us, but it's not a big deal to God. And so he can answer a prayer 30 years later as if we prayed it just this morning. And so the angel said, and this is, uh, uh, says great fear fell upon Zechariah, which probably would happen. And uh, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, that is, before the Lord, before the Messiah, actually, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And that last phrase is actually my text for this morning. John came to make ready, for, uh, to prepare the way for the Lord, but also to make ready a people prepared. And I want us to think today just about the idea of preparation, preparation. I love to prepare for meals. I love it when we're going to have a Thanksgiving dinner or some kind of birthday feast and I have the opportunity to uh, to prepare for it and try to get everything ready and try to plan in my mind exactly what we're going to have. Of course, my wife, she does a lot of the planning and preparing too, but I, I love to kind of push everybody out of the kitchen if I can, and I don't have too much trouble doing that. Most people don't. You don't have to push too hard to get most people out of the kitchen, but uh, I love to to prepare a, a wonderful feast, a great meal. A lot of things take a lot of preparation. What are some things that people prepare for for a long time? 
the birth of a baby. All right. So that's one thing that takes some preparation. And, of course, you have baby showers and things like that. And you get a room ready and you get everything all ready and uh, prepared for that baby to come. And, and a wedding. A wedding takes uh, a lot of time to prepare for. A lot of times, anyway. Some don't take much time. But... Uh, but uh, uh, a big wedding, I, we went to a wedding yesterday, and they had must have had, uh, looked like maybe 16 attendants, something like that. And uh, I thought, man, that took some time to prepare for that, to get ready for that wedding. Well, how long did it take to get the world ready for the birth of the Savior? Well, it started a long, long time ago. The preparation started with promise and prophecy. In fact, right after Adam and Eve sinned, I mean, the, the day, the, as far as we know, the very day that they sinned, God gave a promise, and he said that the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent would be at warfare for ages to come, but the day would come when the seed of the serpent would strike the heel with a lethal blow on the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. That's the first promise of the gospel in the Bible, Genesis 3, 15. That's what they call the first gospel presentation, the first promise of the gospel. So from the beginning, and actually even before, before the beginning, God had already prepared all things because the Bible says the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. But in time as we know it, that very first promise, and so there was the promise, and then there was prophecy all throughout the book of Micah, throughout the book of Isaiah, throughout uh, Jeremiah, all the Old Testament kept saying, he's coming, he's coming, get ready. And of course, there must have been many times when people thought, yeah, I've heard that all my life, that he's coming, where is he? Well, the time wasn't ready yet. And uh, when we prepare, when that baby is, uh, uh, when you say to uh, uh, a three-year-old, look, mommy's going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby brother. That three-year-old might say, where is he? Well, one little girl went to school, and her mother had actually, she'd been telling her, you know, we're gonna, you're going to have a baby brother. You're going to have a baby brother. And then one morning as the baby was moving, the little, the little girl that's about a seven-year-old the mom put her hand and said, look, feel. And the, she felt the baby move. And she went to school. And every morning she'd go to school saying, we're going to have a baby, we're going to have a baby. This morning she was very quiet. And the teacher said, uh, uh, Sandra, is, what about your baby brother? She said, I think mama ate him. <laughs> I suppose I suppose to a little child that'd be kind of confusing, wouldn't it? But uh, but the preparation, uh, the time has to come. The time has to come, and then the fulfillment comes. 
So there was promise and there was prophecy. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And uh, all of the prophecies throughout the Old Testament. All that was part of the preparation. And then there were pictures and there were types. Right away, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible tells us that God clothed them, not in the fig tree leaves that they had made for themselves, but that he gave to them the skins of animals, which required a blood sacrifice as those animals were slain and their skins were taken so that the nakedness, the shame, and the guilt could be covered by the blood sacrifice of an innocent animal. So, uh, right there, right on the very front page, we see this first picture. And then every sacrifice that was made from the Passover lamb all the way to the lambs, the goats' sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, every sacrifice, every picture was saying, there is one coming whose blood will cover your sin who will take away the sin of the world. And there was a time when the children of Israel were wandering around in the wilderness after they had escaped from, from uh, after they'd been delivered from Egypt, and fiery serpents came out and bit the people because they had complained and because they were, had, were rebelling against Moses and God, and, and these fiery serpents were biting. People were dying. People were uh, being bitten by these fiery serpents and the Bible says that God told Moses to take a brazen serpent and put it on a pole, put it on a cross basically and lift it up before the people and say to them everyone who will look at this serpent will live. Look and live. And everybody must have wondered what is that a picture of? What does that mean? And Jesus explained it in John chapter 3 that just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's just amazing. All through the Old Testament, it seemed like every prophecy, every promise was saying, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming. Be prepared. We're preparing the world for His coming. And then every picture and every type and every sacrifice and every brazen serpent lifted on a pole, and so many, many, many other things were saying, He's coming. He's coming. The Savior is coming. And then there was uh, history and even politics. The Bible made it clear that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. And yet, Joseph and Mary didn't live in Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth, about 90 miles north of Bethlehem and a pretty torturous uh, trip to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And they certainly would never have made such a trip. But a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world was to be enrolled. And everyone had to go back to their own city, to their own place of, of, of their family heritage. And Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. 
And he said, I have to go back to Bethlehem to register. And while they were there in Bethlehem, the days were accomplished that she should bring forth her firstborn son. And he was born in Bethlehem. Isn't it amazing? God says, okay, I mean, I'm sure God didn't think like this, but just kind of my imagination. God says, well, Joseph and Mary in the wrong place. I, I've said that my Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, so I'm going to put it in the heart of a pagan king to issue a decree to get them to Bethlehem at just the right time. Isn't that amazing? I'm just telling you, folks, God is amazing. <laughs> he is in control. He is, he is in charge of the nations of this world. And when he wants to move a couple from Nazareth to Bethlehem, he could have just said, he could have sent an angel and said, Joseph, get Mary down to Bethlehem. But he said, no, I did that the other time. I, I, I've already used my angel. I think I'm going to use the most powerful human on the planet and let him be my pawn to do my will to get my Messiah born where I promised that he would be born. So he says, Caesar, issue a decree to move everybody around and get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. So I'm just saying that God prepares for the coming of his Messiah. And then, of course, he sent John. It's amazing to me. The Bible says and there was a man sent from God whose name was John. We're glad to have our Johns here today, aren't we? I tell you. First John, Second John, Third John—we've got them everywhere here today. But uh, there, uh, it does seem interesting to me that throughout Christian history, there have been lots of men named John that God has used: John Chrysostom, John Calvin, John Jonathan Edwards, uh, John Piper. <laughs> There's just lots of men named John that God has used. That's, huh? John Bunyan. Yeah, we could just go on. But, uh, but God sent John the baptizer and told him, you're the one that I'm sending to prepare the way for the Lord. And he came preaching, telling people to repent and get ready that the Messiah is here. All these others were saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And John comes and says, he is here. And I have come to prepare the way before him and to prepare a people for him. Then I just want to uh, really close the message today by, on this idea of preparation because he says that John came to prepare a people. What do we do? How do we prepare? 
I think God wants to do some preparation in our hearts as we look forward to this Christmas holiday. I know we all have our own traditions, our own uh, things. I, I try to get up every morning in the month of December, eat my fruitcake, and uh, listen to the Messiah. And uh, that's, that's my tradition. And, uh, and in fact, I was afraid I was going to run out of fruitcake. And Ben was in Corsicana. Did you get it in Corsicana? He was in Corsicana. He brought me enough fruitcake to get me through December, I think. So I'll, I'll have. And, uh, of course, the Messiah never gets old. You can listen to it over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, Ephraim, you've been listening to the Messiah this Christmas already? Okay. I know. He and I, our hearts bonded together when he told me that he loved the Messiah. And not just the Messiah, but he loved the music, the Messiah, and the Messiah. So how do we prepare our hearts? And I want to suggest four ways, just very briefly. Number one, to realize and consider how much we needed a Savior. Sometimes we meet somebody who's come out of a life of horrible sin. Uh, I heard a testimony this last week of a guy that grew up in the South, and he was a, the grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, and he was so filled with rage and hate and everything. And, and you know, you listen to something like that, and you say, man, he needed a Savior. And it, the story was about how he was saved and then God began to use him even in prison to uh, lead Bible studies and so forth and turn the hearts of people from hatred to love but I want you to know he didn't need Jesus any more than you need Jesus he didn't need a savior any more than the sweetest little 10 year old kid needs a savior because the fact is, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all needed a Savior. Somebody has said the greatest wickedness of all sin, the greatest sin, is the pride of a man's heart that he substitutes for the new birth. When a man thinks, well, I'm not so bad, I'm not that wicked, I'm not that evil, I don't need a Savior. That person is in a worse condition than the person who is living in the worst wickedness on this planet who knows that he needs a Savior. And so to prepare our hearts for the birth of Jesus, I would say we need to remind ourselves of just how desperately we needed a Savior. Think about your sin. Think about your pride. Think about your deadness toward God before you were saved and realize that had it not been for amazing grace, you would still be in that condition. You would still be dead in your sin and realize that you could never have come to him unless he came to you first. We love him because he first loved us. We come to him because he calls us effectually and sovereignly and powerfully 
we come to him, as Stephanie read in John chapter 1 this morning, that we're born again not by the will of the flesh, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. So prepare your heart by bowing before his sovereignty, his grace, and bowing as a ruined sinner who needed a Savior. And then the second thing is to examine your heart. Ask God to show any, any hidden sinful attitudes, sinful motives, or sinful behavior. Before the Passover, God told the children of Israel to get all the leaven out of their house. And leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin. And I think as we prepare for Christmas, God would say to us, Examine your heart. Pray as the psalmist prayed. Lord, examine me and see if there's any wicked way in me. I want to lay it aside. I want to get rid of it. I want you to cleanse my heart. And then number three, build excitement and anticipation in your home and in your heart especially if you have children, for the celebration of the birth of Jesus. Try to, try to direct your attention and focus away from gifts to the gift and to the giver. It is uh, it's sad that in our culture especially, many times... Christmas ends up becoming mostly about stuff, about secular stuff, about presence rather than his presence with us. It becomes more a interest in what am I going to get than celebrating the giver of all good things. And then the fourth thing, to saturate your heart with God's word. Uh, memorize the Christmas story. You've heard it many, many times. Commit it to memory. Be able to go lie in your bed at night and just quote the whole story. Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2 and just Saturate yourself with God's Word and be a people prepared, preparing for His birth. And then one last thing. When we think about Advent, the word Advent, the Latin word Advent means coming, coming forth, coming forth. And that's what Advent historically is celebrating around Christmas time talking about his first coming but the same prophets that talked about his birth also declared that he would come again so we celebrate at Christmas time with thanksgiving for his first coming but with anticipation of his second
Is your heart prepared? See, prepare him room. Prepare your heart. Be a people prepared. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you are the one who is the great preparer. You prepared the world for Jesus' first coming, for his birth. You said at just the right time, the exact moment of your choice, you sent forth your son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, and you prepared the world for that birth. And now I ask you to help prepare our hearts to receive you in all the promise and in all the fulfillment of that first coming. And then help us prepare our hearts for your return. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.